0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded from the Sophist Group. This is episode 194. We are closing in on the big 200. It's coming soon. And today we've got a bit of a British takeover with the, with myself, Adrian, who's hosting and Paul Adams joins us on the pod today. You've probably heard from Paul before. Paul's one of our senior engineers in the group and Well, we are uh, covering a topic today which very much needs an engineer to explain it. So, Paul, how are you doing?
1: Well, hello, Adrian. Yes, good to be back. Doing very well this end, thank you. And uh, almost 200 episodes, can't believe it. I
0: know, I know. uh, We've been going since around uh, the time that COVID started. That's when we started doing the podcast because Renault and I were discussing, you know, how do we get... A lot of people are being affected by COVID, maybe, you know, in lockdowns and things like that. How do we get information out to the world? And uh, podcasts seem like a good way to do it. And here we are, years later, and uh, still going. And sometimes, you know, people are sending us messages monthly, and they're saying, you know, oh, thanks for covering such and such a topic, or can you cover this topic? So it's really nice that people are getting value out of what we're doing
1: absolutely absolutely
0: and and talking about uh people requesting um so a uh,
1: Jillian have uh set up their own plastic molding shop and and one of our clients asked us about surface finishing um mm. so i i talked to them regarding their particular products and and the and the needs of a surface finishing and, and what that meant and and that sort of triggered this particular topic with respect to uh, service textures on on molded parts and, and how do I actually get that service texture into the mold tool itself? Um, So that's what we're going to be covering today.
0: Yeah, that's a good topic because, I mean, you might not even think about it a lot of the time, but every product almost that you're touching or, you know, it could be your car outside or or, you know, I just bought an iPad and bought a case for the iPad, which has got a texture on it. Uh, these don't just come by accident these are you know adding a texture to to a plastic enclosure for example this is something that has a purpose behind it there's a lot of thinking goes into it and it's uh, well that, that and that's the process that we're going to be going through today in some detail right
1: well, you know, we're not going to go too deep, but, um, but I think there's, there's, <laughs> there's plenty of, there's plenty of, uh, sort of content to discuss. Uh, we can Great. go as deep as we want, you know, sort of unintended okay. as it were. Sure. But, uh, yeah, definitely. So, so to kick off, basically I want to cover sort of like when adding texture to a mold tool, there are a number of different rules with respect to just general rules to keep in mind. So. You need to consider the purpose and the function of adding texture to, to your product. And let's talk about the product itself. Now that could be a requirement to have it non-slip, for example, or Totally the opposite way around A slippery surface You may think I've got a product in front of me It doesn't have a surface finish Well, it has mm. You know, if it's a shiny product We talk about the the iPad I've got, uh, I've got an iPad in front of me If you look at the back of that That is uh, a very highly polished Okay, it's a metal product You know, but the casing I've got Some of that is very, very smooth Other areas are very rough and um, tactile um, mm. So, you know, it, it could be aesthetics it could be, um, a more of a functional aspect on why you need to put a texture on a product. Okay. Sure, sure. And you need to actually understand what your product is in service for and then look at what type of surface finish you need on your product. And then you can start to understand how to actually apply that surface finish to the product itself. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go into that in more detail as we move forward with respect to some of the ground rules with respect to tooling, you know, and what is required to add texture to the tooling itself. Um, mm-hmm. but, it, but uh, you need to step back to start with, you know, from a design aspect, you need to really understand why you are putting a texture on your product. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to talk about the, the I, iPad case. That, that serves a two purpose, you know. One is aesthetics. It makes it look different and makes it look good. But two, it actually, in my case, you know, I like to feel as if I'm in control of the product I'm holding. I don't want it to feel slippery. I don't want it to feel as if I'm going to drop the product because it's too shiny or too slippery. So that Ooh. acts as two things, you know. It's aesthetically pleasing as well as um, acting as an anti-slip or a gripping surface. Okay, so that's important. That's important to understand that. Okay, and then you need to understand what type of texture you want to add. Now, is it a smooth surface? Is it a deep, um, rutted surface? Is it a complex pattern? Um, We've got some geometric shapes you can apply to um, surface finishes to Uh, You can have a random pattern. You can have alligator skin. You can basically have anything you want. Um, So it's really a case of looking at um, what pattern you need with respect to what you are trying to put across. Now, I've worked with a number of clients in the past where they want to imitate an animal print, um, an alligator skin, without actually going into, you know, using... Um, skins from an animal, you know, which is, you know, th- th- that was their thing. They wanted to actually imitate that particular pattern <laughs> for aesthetics reasons, or if they're, they're, that's one of their selling points. So you can actually have any pattern you want, and that is applied through various different methods. Again, I'm going to cover that as we move forward. Uh, so another thing to really look at is if you're, if you're getting a texture added to your products, you need to look at the cost of application, okay? So the Mm -hmm. cost of application is different with respect to the process or the method you're actually applying the texture to the tool, okay? So if you've got a a relatively inexpensive product, an entry-level product, let's say to the market, and you're looking at a, a highly complex texture, that may Add a lot of cost to the tooling, which may be prohibited to the the process itself, yeah, and, and the end product. Yeah, you know, the, the the cost may uh, it might not stack up. Let's see. Um, and you also need to look at um, making sure that you've got consistency as well. You know, with respect to the, the the product itself, as in coming out of the tool. Now, again, there's some general guidelines that we need to understand as engineers, as we're designing this product, there are certain guidelines we need to understand when we're applying different textures. Okay, Now, if you've got a shiny, smooth surface, that can be as problematic as getting a textured product out of the tool, believe it or not. But uh, anyway, let's move on to some of the general rules with respect to designing and considering the different types of texture on the tooling itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've covered, so we've covered the initial part with respect to why you would want, um, to, to add texture to a, to a product. Now let's look at it from a designer's aspect. When you're sitting down doing some design work, you need to do some general rule of thumb guidelines. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at tooling, there's general rule of thumb with respect to draft angles. Now, a draft angle. Can you imagine when you, when you were sort of back as a kid, you were you were doing uh, sandcastles on the beach. You had a mm-hmm. little bucket, right, and you filled it up with damp sand. You turned it upside down. You smacked the bucket with your little spade, and you pulled off the bucket, and there was your sandcastle. If you noticed that sand castle that sand castle was not perfectly parallel up it was it had an angle on it yeah mm. and that is what we are calling a draft angle that as soon as that 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 bucket released the side of the sand there was a gap right and that allowed for in our case the ejection of the plastic part out of the tool itself now if you've got A very shallow angle. In other words, it's it's almost parallel. That the the walls in the tool are almost parallel, and you want to put on a a relatively rough surface finish. As the part is ejected out of the tool, the sides of the plastic ejector injection part is going to scuff against the tooling sides walls. Yeah, and therefore it's going to damage your surface finish. It's going to damage the texture. So therefore you need to add a relatively steep draft angle, same as your, your sand bucket, you know, in your sand castle, mm-hmm. in order for that to be ejected out of the tool cleanly without damaging any of the texture as it comes out. Okay? Mm-hmm. So depending on how how um how deep your texture is, depending on how much draft angle there is. Okay, now the general rule of thumb. So the standard draft angle is one to two degrees as a typical um, draft angle for a light texture, right? and this will allow your 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 product to be ejected out of the tool cleanly without any scuff marks.
0: Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's what general- is a what what is a light texture? If we can just try and visualize what you mean by that.
1: Um. Typically. A light, yeah, a light. T- well, again, I'm going to talk in in technical terms. It's like a yes. light spark finish. Um, d- for f- um, core cool, blimey. It's um, what about a
0: brushed brushed finish, like brushed alum- aluminium or something?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That that's okay. that's a good that's a good analogy. That that's okay. uh, something you can picture.
0: Okay. Yeah, 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 then yeah. I think, I think most yeah. listeners can probably picture that.
1: Yeah, yeah. If, if, if you're basically touching, touching a, a light, um, texture, you can feel it's textured. Yeah. You can look at it and it's, it's got a dull look to it. It's not a shiny, shiny finish. Okay. But it's not coarse and you can't feel the bumps in it. Okay. So that's a uh, brushed aluminium is, is a good way to visualize that. Adrian, well done. Um, so that's your light texture. So you are talking you're talking uh a depth of about one one to five thou or um zero point zero two five microns. You know, it's wow. a it's 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 small it's a very, very small texture, okay, from a depth point of view. If we step it up a little bit, so a moderate texture, so you're talking about five to ten thou um in in uh in, In those terms, you are needing to add a greater draft angle in order to maintain that texture integrity. So we're stepping up from one to two degrees to three to five degrees um, total draft angle um, in order to get your product out of the tool without scuffing or damaging the, the surface texture. Again, mm. if we step it up another level, you know we're talking about a heavy texture of around so a like ten to twenty thou. That is that that's coarse. Now that's coarse, and, and I'm going to going to go through what coarse and fine is a little bit later on. Um, see if we can try to understand that a little bit better. Okay. Um, but again, we're, we're talking about five to ten degrees. You can imagine ten degrees. This, this is your sandcastle bucket. Um, angle. You know, this is quite severe. Uh, from a a draft angle point of view, but in some cases, that's what we're looking at. And we're talking about wood grain finishes and complex geometric patterns, for example, that really need to be maintained as they are being ejected out of the
0: tool.
1: Okay. Okay. So the general rule of thumb, when you are sitting down doing your design work, don't forget, um, don't forget to add your draft angles onto your 3D CAD models. And if you can work on one and a half degrees per thou, that would be that'd be okay. When I'm talking about what? per thou, that's like the texture depth.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <okay? laughs> so that's your texture depth. You'll need one and a mm-hmm. half degrees. That's your general rule of thumb.
0: You know? I did. I did this is good because if you're let's say you're working with a, a Chinese manufacturer and they're gonna help develop your tooling. Yes, and they're playing a bit fast and loose with this stuff and just saying, yeah, yeah, it's all good, and they don't mention this, maybe maybe they do include it, but maybe they just haven't mentioned it. But if you're forearmed with this information, you can go to them and say, okay, uh, talk to me about the draft angles, please, because we've got to get this texture right.
1: Yeah, indeed. that That's definitely a good advice, Adrian. You should always be discussing uh, capabilities of the toolmaker, uh, of your components and your parts and draft angles is a is key aspect, particularly when it comes to ejecting the component out of any tool. And particularly if you want to maintain that, uh, sort of complex, really fancy, fancy surface finish you've got on there, uh, or whatever texture. So, mm-hmm. which is very, very important.
0: Yeah, I follow you so far. Good, uh, good explanations. we we're, we're doing some visualizing here, but that's okay. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> On to the next point then. So th- this is um, how we actually add that surface texture to the plastic mold tool.
1: Yes, let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, th- There are various different techniques. Um, some of the techniques have uh, progressed from the early days and, and got fairly complex nowadays um, because the technology has moved on from the 80s and the 90s, um, <laughs> giving my age away when I first started engineering, mm-hmm. Uh, way back then. So these days, it, it, uh, the technology is uh, sort of very cool. Uh, more A lot more advanced than what it used to be. But um, st- still a very good practice for putting on finishes is the first one. Let's talk about sanding and polishing. You will see this in every single toolmaker's workshop throughout the world. Okay, this is a trad- traditional method, and it involves... A a, a very, very skilled engineer sitting down, hand-polishing surfaces, and that will make them glass-like, okay? It's very time-consuming, labor-intensive, and back-breaking work. Still done today, right? And this is done for high-gloss products, um, smartphone casings, um anything that needs a really really good high gloss finish you will see people hand polishing hand sanding tools in any workshop we go to so that that's the first way to do it sanding and polishing second way is spark erosion okay so this is a a, a method where we've got electrical spark which erodes the mould surface. Generally, these these tools are, are done in a, a, a bath of water or oil, and, and so the electrode comes down, which is generally copper. If that's um, a, a flat surface on the electrode, that will uh, impart a, a flat surface onto the mould tool. Now, the way it works is an electrical charge will touch onto the metal, and that will break down the surface of of the metal and break it away so basically it's it, it's removing metal uh from the tool now depending mm. on the shape of the electrode that will be imprinted onto the mold tool itself okay generally spark erosion is for not necessarily textures but a deeper um, pockets or, or things like this, um, keyholes, um, and, and particular shapes, uh, more of a shape generating aspect. Um, but it can be used in some complex patterns or logos, for example, you, you'll often see spark erosion, uh, carried out where we've got a logo. Okay. So embossed or debossed on, on, uh, sort of the tool itself. Um, another way is blasting or media blasting. Uh, and this could be a uh, sort of sand or grit or a final um, metal, um, sort of grit. And, and again, if you, if you got a, a highly skilled operator blasting this, you can actually get a very good pattern across a uniform area of the tool itself. Uh, mm. this is commonly used on a lot of tools where we got a textured grip. For example, you've got, uh, some of the sports equipment got a, a grip finish on, on some of the handles, uh, or even decorative finishes on appliances. You know, a lot of this work is done via, um, blasting a, a media um shot media over a surface area of the tool and the tool can be masked off so you've got particular areas showing that you're actually blasting itself where everything else is uh, masked off and, and not affected by the, the blast area itself so again this is a very relatively quick Ooh. and easy method and again a very common um f- for the uh, uniform texture uh, which is not complete. It, it needs to be, we're going back to the, um, the, the, the light texture, light to medium mm. texture. What we talked about earlier where the brushed down mm-hmm. aluminum, I've got a speaker in front of me. I, I keep on picking this up because this has got a, a really nice light spark finish going to a light spark. That's, that's, my old, um, sort of engineering speak coming out. Um, it's kind of just a light, and I believe this could have been done by this. Um, media blasting technique. You know because it's got okay. a uniform, uniform finish to it. It's it's not rough. It's it's just uh, it's just taken the the edge off the shine. It's got a dull look to it. Really nice. Mm-hmm. So that that's mm-hmm. a very good uh, sort of way of doing it. Now, if we're getting into sort of more complex shapes and textures and everything like this, we're looking at chemical photo etching. Now, this method is one of the newer methods, and it has become probably the method or the go-to method. And it involves applying a photoresist film to the surface, and then ultraviolet light cures that area, is then washed away, and that is then etched into the mold itself. So you can Ooh. have a very complex and versatile Pattern. and this is where you get your animal prints this is where you get your geometric shapes um and this is where you can get any any complex um texture that you want okay because uh, uh, again that you can just put that on you put the film on you can cure it with the ultraviolet light you wash it away and then it's etched into the mold tool itself and again this is a relatively quick way of doing it um and and accurate as well and a very uniform process um which mm. you know if you look back if we if we go back a couple and we're talking about um sand sanding and polishing that's a human sitting down um polishing this that is very very uh specific with respect to what they can do okay if we're looking at blasting and we're looking at blasting a particular area in instead of very small areas chemical etching itself is very specific very unique and very um it's a desirable way of putting on any text you want onto onto the product itself go back mm. to my ipad for example the case that i recently bought is it, it's got cross hatching on it it's got um a leatherette finish on it it's got a smooth finish on it it's got it's got so many different textures on the surface. It's, you know, there's no way that that's going to be um, sandblasted. You know, that's going to be chemical etched into the tool itself and and done that. Now, this is the go-to most popular process of adding any textures to to the tool itself. An example of, of products that uh, use this would be a watch dial where we've got intricate lines and shapes, um, texture grips on any of the electronics. Uh, like I just said, my iPad case has got so many different textures built into it. Um, this would be the perfect process or methodology to actually add those textures to the tool itself. And the leatherite finishes is exactly what I've got in here. And we're looking at larger areas as well can you imagine uh sort of your luggage uh that you go on holiday with um the outside of that has got a uh uniform pattern or a texture you can bet your bottom dollar that is done via chemical photo etching on the tool itself
0: instead of anything else it's a big old mold that is
1: it is it is yeah but it's not some of the biggest ones um Mm. out there you know if if you'd say if we step it up a gear um, and switch into the automotive industry, for example. You know, you've got um, all sorts of trim and panels inside your, you know, you've got the dashboard, probably one of the biggest trim or panels that uh, is inside an automotive um, sort of product or a car or a truck or a bus or something like this. If you look at your dashboard, yeah, yours is going to be very similar to mine, it's got a pattern on it. You know, whatever that pattern mm. is, whether it be a rough, whether it be that um, you know, sort of leatherette look, you know, it, it's got a uniform pattern over that entire surface. And that entire surface is a large surface. Mm. Now, they talk about um sort of chemical etching as being the go-to for the general process and the general tool making. Once we step it up to size, we're looking at some very very large tools in order to get some of these trims out for the automotive industry, we start to look at laser etching. Now, laser etching is a step up from an expense point as well. Not necessarily from uh, the tool itself, but the process. You need the the equipment. The the process of laser etching is not a cheap process. Consequently, it's used for the, the mass production. Yeah, the automotive, uh, industry is a mass production industry. And consequently, they, uh, that they, they can actually look at these more expensive, um, processes, um, because it makes sense economically. It makes sense, uh, to do that with, uh, mass production or a greater number of products coming through. And again, we're looking at a laser beam. Literally, there's a laser moving over, uh, the surface of the material, removing certain areas of the material on the tool itself to expose or leave the desired texture that the designer has put into the CAD file itself.
0: Hmm.
1: Great for that. And laser etching is also used in some of the medical um, industries, like the medical implants or biocompatibility textures, for example, you know, as again, it's a very specialized, not a cheap process to use. Uh, and this is why it's really used on the extremities of the um, industry itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, these are some interesting ways. I mean, uh, I assume with things like laser etching, then this is going to be more automated than done by hand. Am I right? Oh, very much so.
1: Very much so. Yeah. yeah. Once, once you programmed in the sort of the laser, um, etching is going to be more like a robot. Um, it's, it's going to be through like a, a production line. Yeah. The, the tools will come. Well, I was saying that. So once you've got a tool done, Adrian, you, you, you're not producing, um, hundreds of tools. You've got to remember this is done on a mold tool itself, which will churn out. You know potentially hundreds of thousands of mouldings a year so we' we're not actually looking at um laser etching the individual uh dashboards themselves it's the metal tooling that uh, we're we're etching into but it, you're right it's very much um automated um in, instead of hand done
0: Okay, that's an uh, interesting look into how the sausage is made, as it were. And uh, <laughs> I like it, I like it. Yeah. Again, if you look at textures, maybe you don't realize that there's another side to it. How do, how do they even get there? So that's, that's good. So if we move on then.
1: We can go a little bit more into depth with respect to um, how chemical photo etching is done. I'll just give you some quick bullet points with respect to the, the, the headlines on the process. Um okay. Because th- this is pretty interesting. As uh, you, know, you say, the um when I first went out and, and, and sat down with my toolmakers in the early days, this wasn't around, you know. But uh this mm. is the go to process now, uh one that we're using in house, one that uh the majority of toolmakers using at the moment. So chemical photo etching is uh is is the go to um, process, like I said, and it stands out as a popular choice for several reasons. Uh, the precision and the detail that you can actually achieve is second to none. Uh, imagine carving um, delicate patterns onto a cake. Well, you can't do that, you know, but you can with uh, sort of precision, um, detail, availability on chemical photo etching, uh, versatility. Yeah, you know, we're looking at. Um, the different mediums it actually works on. You can get a a pattern or a surface texture on various different metals, including steel, aluminum, nickel, and yeah. You know, if you really want to, you can work that on some plastics as well. Mm. Um, durable. Yeah, yep, for sure. Its etched surface or inherently durable. Um, it's to stand um, um, the wear test of time. Um, so that's always good, and they're always cost effective. Uh, the, the process is very cost effective these days, so which is good. Um, and you've also got the key thing here, I think, is repeatability and control. Okay, so unlike what we talked about, um, so the skilled engineer sitting down over a tool, um, hand polishing, um, you're always going to get some variability when it comes to a person being in control of the end product. With this, you've got repeatably control of the outcome. Mm. So that's basically where we are on uh, why we're doing it. Um, so the process is, it, it, I think we've uh, sort of talked about that, we, we put down the, um, the, the photo resist layer with the texture on it. It's then blasted with uv light it's then developed through that process um it's then uh, etched and stripped and then you've got your final product um in the tool Mm. itself so which is cool i want to talk about the the roughness itself And, and i've talked about the depth of texture we were talking earlier with respect to making sure that you get your draft angles correct with respect to the texture depth, you know, we're talking about 1,000 5,000 for light texture. Well, what does that mean in in reality? Well, in engineering terms, you know, we talk about the RA value, okay? Mm. So, which is basically short for the arithmetic average roughness. So, we're talking about peaks and troughs, okay? Nice. So, if you can imagine putting a a surface material under a microscope and really zooming in, you know, even a smooth surface is not dead smooth. You know, you're going to have some undulations in there. You're going to have peaks and troughs. And the average is your RA value. So basically you're looking at the the average of the 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 uh, sort of the the peaks, and then you look at the, the bottom of the uh, sort of the valleys, the troughs, and then you'll take that average, and that is your RA value. Okay. So this is your roughness on your, on your tooling itself. So that's basically what we're talking about. And, and we're talking about microns instead of thou. Thou being the uh, sort of the English inches, microns being the millimeters and, and, and the metric system. It, we engineers, we always uh, sort of mix our values. I know, but uh, that, that's a common thing. So basically a rough, Texture or a rough surface finish will have a um, so a larger Ra value, mm. and a smooth one would have so a smaller uh, value. Okay, simply because we're looking at the distance between the the peak and the trough average. So if that's really small, it's going to be. You mm-hmm. can imagine that's a, a very smooth surface. You've got a really rough one. The distance between the the top and the bottom with well, the average there is going to be larger. The consequence is going to be a larger number, so we are looking at for example, a fine wood grain texture might have an r a value of five to ten microns, something like that where a stippled uh, grip texture uh for example, will have twenty to thirty microns nice. um and and this is something that Again, you should really be looking at specifying on your drawing with respect to what is the surface roughness. When we're talking about, you know, what's the finish? What's the surface finish on the product? It's smooth. Yeah. But, but what, it, what is it? You need to specify that because the mm. tool maker, particularly when we're talking, you talked about earlier, when we're talking about your, your Chinese supplier or your manufacturer, everything's up for interpretation. Mm. Yeah. If it's not written down, they will. They will see that as an open specification, yeah. And potentially you're going to come back. Well, it's got a surface finish on it, sir. know,
0: but yeah, yeah. It's not what I want. It's not consistent. It's not between batches, for example. Yeah, or you didn't specify what you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's it's about consistency, isn't it? Yeah. Is it the case with the Ra value? Can you have two of the same pattern of texture but different? Uh, RA values i.e. one is a deeper grain than the other one but the pattern ostensibly looks the same
1: you can have the same RA value with a totally looking a totally different looking texture That that's a true statement yes can you imagine um straight lines okay versus a crosshatch you know mm. the, the depth could be exactly the same so therefore your roughness will be exactly the same but you look at the surface finish it's totally different it's right. totally different Which leads us really on to the next topic, which is probably the last thing I really want to uh, sort of discuss here, which is specifying what texture. We've talked about this before. Do you want a leatherette? Do you want a crosshatch? Do you want, you know, sort of vertical lines, horizontal lines, Uh, whatever the case may be. You need to specify that. So we talked about roughness, you know, which is uh, a, a very real thing. But then you just mentioned there, Adrian, which is a very good point. Yeah, you can have the same roughness on a totally different looking surface finish or a texture. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way to do that is looking at a mold texture book. Okay, mm-hmm. so there are a number of different books out there. Uh, the, the one that we commonly use is, wait for it, is the Yik Sang Texture Book. Now this is a, this comes from a Hong Kong company. Um, yeah. and this is the one that we use. Now what they use is, well, they, they have a book and there's small plaques of different textures that you can have that you can specify. And each plaque or each type of texture has a four digit code. And in this particular book, they have 240 unique texture plaques for you to choose from. Um, so that is some of these can be quite expensive, but if you, if you're, if you're designing, um, a lot of plastic components or, or it's absolutely critical for your product, it's around $500, something like that. Um, so mm-hmm. it's something to invest in, but you yeah. can actually specify that and you would be able to put that onto your, um, sort of drawings or specifications. Um, and the tool maker would know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, because you are specified. This is from the, the, the Yixang texture book and it is plaque number 234. And this is what it looks like. And you can even take a quick photograph and implant that into, uh, the specification documentation that goes out with, with all your products itself to the toolmaker. Um, another one is the, the LW texture book. Um, again, this is a generic um, texture, a lot of uh, sort of plaques you can find in there with respect to what the different textures look like. And again, you can just cross reference the exact one in your uh, technical file and send that off to the toolmaker to ensure that they know exactly what they are uh, make, making and building your tool to.
0: mm. Yeah, these texture books are fascinating because when you start looking at the different textures, you start to think about the things in your life and you're like, oh, the leather grain that I'm seeing, that's just like my car's dashboard, for yep. example. So yep. it's, uh, it's pretty amazing when you do actually start flipping the pages on these things. So
1: we talked about making sure the, sort of the surface texture you require is included in the the technical files that are going out to the toolmaker. Now, I just want to try and get get you a visualization, Adrian, and and those listeners out there with respect to what we mean by – I'm going to stick with the the Yixang Texture Book uh, because that's the one that we use in the office here. Mm -hmm. Basically, I want to try and give you their four-digit code with respect to – what a typical surface finish is okay so unless you've got the book you you don't really understand what it is but it's giving you an example of the type of information that you need to include in the technical files that are going out so if you're looking at the Yixang texture book and you want a mirror finish okay so you're talking about the um, some of the products you're looking around, you got absolute glass finish as a mirror finish. You want to be specifying the, the YS, which is the Yang, the, the Xang reference. And it's going to be the 1286. Now this will refer to a mirror finish and it's a super smooth and reflective surface, which is perfect for high gloss products like phone cases and kitchen appliances. Mm. Okay. So that this is the type of thing we're looking at. Um, and that's a smooth, refined finish. You want to step on, keep, keep on saying this. You keep on to step it up a little bit, you know, make it a little bit rougher. Let's look at some of these natural textures. And one thing that I've mentioned, um, throughout this is uh, animal skin. And, and I think it's, uh, sort of leatherette. So if we look at a, a crocodile leather, for example, yes. They do that, and this is something that you can specify on your products. If you're looking at, um go back to my iPad case again, I don't think it's a crocodile leather, but uh, it's some sort of yeah. like, rough texture on there. Um, but if you did want that crocodile leather texture on your products, you could actually specify the, the YS1629, and uh, this is actually a realistic crocodile skin texture which is perfect for adding a luxurious touch to handbags or shoes, for example. Um, so
0: they, or, or, or having an incredibly pimpin iPad case.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so can you imagine? Why not? Why not? Indeed. Um, but I want. I want to stick with uh, sort of the natural textures before I go on to uh, sort of something else. You can even have a, a bamboo green. Okay, believe it or not. So this is going to be the YS1754 bamboo grain. Okay. It just, just shows you that the versatility of this particular texture book with their 240 different plaques that you can actually choose from. And this is why, you know, so we, we advise one, if you're looking for specifics, talk to the experts. If you don't know exactly what to specify, or how to specify it, Talk to an expert. Talk to your toolmaker. Give us a call. You know, we've got some experience in this. Reach out to us. You know, we can certainly help you get a, a better understanding of uh, how to specify the textures you're looking for. Okay.
0: Well, and what's going to be suitable in terms of both aesthetics and functionality for for your requirements as well for your exactly yes, mm-hmm. that's
1: right. Um, and and that's the next one we're going to be looking at. Sort of functionality. We talked earlier a bit um, about why would you put a texture on a product itself, and a lot of that is uh, because of its a sort of functional aspect. Yeah, most of it is aesthetics. You know, but a lot of it is a functional surface, and it needs to have mm. that correct. Um, function added to the surface in order for it to do something. Um, and one of those is a diamond grit. Um, it's so a very, very specific pattern, uh, etched into the surface. Um, mm-hmm. and this, this goes by the, the, the code of the YS1815. Now, again, you can look at this particular plaque to see what the pattern is, see how deep it is in other words, what your RA value would be on and against this 1815 particular grid pattern Um and again, if you're looking at the grid but the diamond grid pattern, why is it functional? Because it's a rough pattern and this is excellent for drainage, ventilation good for containers uh, shower mats um something where you need a specific grip because it's a functional aspect of the product itself Uh, Instead of um, being uh, aesthetically pleasing, uh, at the same time, and again, because this is very highly controlled, we talked about how um, how important control uh, and the quality and repeatability and accuracy uh, this particular process is, or putting textures on. We're looking at creative and decorative. You know, so we're looking at herringbone, for example, or a paisley swirl or a geometric maze. All of these patterns are available inside this book for you to have a look at and go, right, this is the perfect texture for my particular mm. product. And this is why. Okay. Mm. And again, it's like each each of these patterns of within this book has its own four digit code. It's, it's a great cross reference book. Do you want to put that on there? So geometric mazes are, are great for, for toys and packaging, for example, um jewelry that can be used on, um and, and basic whatever your product is, you need to choose whatever that surface finished is and look at how that is applied to the product. Now, in general, we're talking been been talking about injection molding um and how to apply that texture to the tool itself. And it's really important to understand. The overall picture, you know, we're looking at a holistic picture with respect to why you need a service texture on your product, how it's applied, what the cost implications are, is it aesthetically pleasing, is it a functional surface finish, and you need to understand all of these aspects with respect to the product design itself, uh, and I think that's Ooh. really where we're talking about from a summary aspect Okay, mm-hmm. and and don't forget if you really do a lot of tooling, uh, a lot of, a lot of specifying products, it is worth investing in one of these uh texture books. It really is, they're not mm-hmm. expensive, well, you know, they're not small change, but you know, mm-hmm. well worth investing in something like that. If you can't do that please, please, please reach out to an expert that understands how to specify and give you some guidance with respect to what and how um and some of the technical aspects behind textures on a particular product. And that includes mm. us. Yeah, please, please reach out to us. That's not a problem. We're here to help.
0: If you're listening and you do need help, it could even be from you, Paul, If uh, if the listeners are contacting us. But I would also add at this point that, You've mentioned some of the uh, texture book codes from the Yixang book. And if you Google those, you might be able to see them. I'm not promising anything, but I'll try and get images of the uh, examples that you gave so we can visualize those as well. And I'll include those in the blog version of this podcast. Uh, that you can read, uh, on, uh, com, And also, we actually do provide texture books as well on request. So, uh, yeah, you can totally contact us to obtain your texture book as well.
1: Yeah. Good point. Good point. Um, the, 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 the issue
0: it's, it's not an issue.
1: Yeah. It, it's always good to have a reference point. If you look at something on the internet, um, it, it's, it's very flat. You can't, yeah, a hundred percent, you can't feel it. Yeah, you know what no. like, I mean? You can see what the texture's gonna look like, but it's not until mm. you actually touch it and feel it. Yeah, you know, it's oh yeah, yeah, this this is what I'm after. This, this, uh, this yeah,
0: and it's it's worth mentioning then that, that these texture books is kinda of like a one of those old school sticker albums you remember, Paul. And yeah, yeah. um uh, and, and they've got like little tiles of is it metal? It must be is it plastic? Yep, nine times out of ten is it's metal, yeah. Yeah, they're metal little squares or maybe rectangles in, in little pouches with the, uh, the number in the description. And you can actually pull them out, feel them. You can, you know, really uh, feel how tactile they are. So you do make a good point because just seeing them is not necessarily enough because you actually need to feel the, uh, the, the roughness or, or not the smoothness uh, in some cases as yep. well. So yeah, the, uh, obtaining the book can be very helpful for sure
1: yeah definitely so i i know i waffle on a little bit but
0: um, <laughs> i'm hoping that
1: gave the listeners a little bit of insight with respect to what texture when we're talking about surface texture this you is. know what type of uh you know how rough it is you know it, it it's a lot more detailed than just stating i want a surface finish you know i want, a, yeah. I, want a, I want a smooth finish you know it's you, know, it, you really need to understand a lot. It's not just about the surface finishes, how it's applied, and why it's applied, and the function of, of why you're applying it. So, yeah, don't forget to specify it. Otherwise, awesome. toolmaker in China may actually, mm-hmm. you know, misinterpret what you're actually trying to say. And that's, mm. you know. No, no. So, I hope it gave you a little bit of insight with respect to the topic of surface textures on mm-hmm. tools.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. A festive treat for everybody. Cause this one's coming out just ten, 10, days shy of Christmas, 2023. So, uh, yeah, a lot to process there and, uh, just add it to the list of stuff that you need to be on top of when you're developing a new product, right? There's so many things. And this is just, it's, it's like, it's like Pandora's box. Every time you open a little door of, of one element of your new product and then all of this stuff comes tumbling out that you really need to think about and know about. But yeah, key takeaway for me is, Specify, specify, specify. Really important there to uh, get the textures and the product that you're expecting. So yeah, great advice, Paul. Cheers for coming on. And thanks everybody for listening. We will be back next week. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfilment and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at that's sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.